So we are doing a series, a series talking particularly about life and death and resurrection in particular as we go through looking at a few instances of each of these uh, and kind of the progression through the Bible. Last time we talked about death as it was introduced to mankind, all right? And as, of course, death is introduced by the problem of sin, brings about death. And that's what God said. And, and since then, mankind has dealt with death. From every facet of life, no one escapes it. It is for all humans. And it says, particularly in the Bible, it is appointed unto every man once to die. And then the judgment beyond that. So we're looking at death, resurrection, and life, and how it is in the Bible and how it lays out in the Bible. So I want to start today... <clears throat> Just telling you, as a parent, that I do not think my children understand what I am up to. Okay? This is it. Let's just start with that. They do not understand what I'm headed for. They do not understand the things I want to accomplish. And so many times as a parent, Amy and I do this, <clears throat> we look at each other and we say... We want you to be like us in one way or not be like us in one way, okay, as a child. And we know we've lived through a few things. We don't want you to go the hard road. So if you would listen to us, then you might have a bit smoother of a road along the way. Now, some children are better listeners than other children. Um... And that's true of adults, by the way. Uh, we have this plan. We have this plan for our children. We want them to succeed. And we have a better thought for them. We say, I really would like this to do, I'd like to do a little better for you. But the key thing is that children just don't understand. And neither did we, Right? For our parents, they had some plan, some thought, some idea, as good as your parents, or maybe not as good as your parents may have been, they wanted something good for you often, all right? Each was limited by their own struggle, their own sins, their own personalities, okay, just as we are. But we have this idea that we want good things for our children. And what do we, if we have children, what do they meet us with? Resistance, right? Yeah, if you have kids, yeah, you should be cheering. Yes, they resist us every time. I got a better plan for you, and you resist, all right? And that is oftentimes what we run into. So we have been trying within our house to create a balance. And this is, our kids are getting a little older, so these things come up in life. The, the thing with screen time, okay? Their world, you'll hear a lot about this lately in my life. Their world is a different world than we grew up in. Totally different. And, you know, 
And I, when I talk about screen time, for those of you who are totally out of that world, computers, phones, video games, TV, movies, anything in front of a screen. Except with today's kids, even in the last two years in particular, the kids are on the screens for school. And I mean all day, all they have a lot of times. Even when they go to school, they sit on a computer all day. And when they stay home, they're on a computer. And how do they hand their homework in? We used to come and bring it in to hand to the teacher. No, no, you have by midnight on X day to get it in on the computer. That's how they live. And it's different. And it's frustrating for all of us out there. But the fact is, that's what's there. All right? That's what we live with. So in our house, at least, we are trying to find some amazing balance I don't know if we'll get there, but trying to find some amazing balance of we want you to know that there is a world outside of the screen. We all grew up like that. It was great, okay? We went outside and played, and we did things, and we beat each other to death in Monopoly for six hours apiece, okay? It was just that kind of stuff. We did that, right? Played games till we hated it. Punched each other, you know, things like that. We did it, not on a screen, all right? So we want something good, right, for our children. We say we want to try to balance this and limit this. And what do our kids say? You're restricting me. You're not doing this for me. You're trying to hold me back. I can't, I can't talk to my friends if I don't have this. I can't do all the things I want to do. And that's how I relax. Which all of which may be true. But there is something we're trying to achieve beyond that. Something we understand that they have never seen. They've never grown up with it. They live in a different world of technology. So we're trying to say, okay, if you just understood what I was trying to get you to do and think and be like, if you could just see and taste a little bit of it, you might be in a better place. Because I think our plan is better than yours. Because you just don't know. All right? And of course, we are met with resistance. So, Amy had this brilliant plan, which I like. <laughs> it was a plan with these little popsicle sticks. And all these little popsicle sticks have non-screen things on them. Written on them. With a time on them. So one might say, go outside and play for X number of times, and you get so many minutes on a screen, okay? <clears throat> one might say, play a game with your brother and sister. One might say, do this chore, work together on something. There's a whole series of things in order for them to balance and buy some time for that screen, okay? <laughs> We're trying. We're trying real hard. Because I want them just at least to taste and understand that there's something else. That I'm looking for something better for them. Because I've experienced that better. I understand those better things. And I want them, though they're going to have to be on screens and things, I want them to see it and feel it and understand it. And the only way I can do that is work through and try to get through this process with them. And that's what we're trying to do. 
And what do we meet with? Resistance, okay? And we struggle with that. Oftentimes, we want just something better, more fulfilling, more wonderful, a, a good life for them. And they come back and say, you're trying to take this away from me, right? Frustration and anger they have, other things like that. But we want them not to miss the big things of life, wasting their whole time on little things. All right? So we're going to look at a story today. And when it comes to life and death, when it comes to resurrection, when it comes to any supreme loss or hardship in our life, we oftentimes have the same approach to God as my kids do to us with screen time. Resistance. We struggle. We don't see what it is God's doing. Because we can't. We just don't understand it. Just like my kids don't understand anything but what they've grown up in until we taste and see and work through. All right? So we're going to go to 1 Kings chapter number 17. 1 Kings chapter number 17. As we look at a story on life and death and resurrection. This starts out with Elijah the prophet. I'm going to read a section of it for us to begin with. And Elijah the prophet is in one of those uh, interesting times in history. He begins speaking to the king. All right, And he is the prophet for that nation. So he's going to begin speaking to the king. We're going to go in chapter 17 of 1 Kings, verse number 1. And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, and said unto Ahab, that's the king of Israel at the time, As the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years, but according to my word. So we're not going to have any rain. Or water in this land until I say. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and dwelt with the brook Cherith, and that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. came to pass after a while that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there, gathering of was there gathering of sticks and he called to her and said fetch me i pray thee a little water in the vessel that i may drink and as she was going to fetch it he called to her and said bring me i pray thee a morsel of bread in thine hand and she said as the lord thy god liveth i have not a cake but a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise and behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. 
And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first. Bring it unto me, and after make thee for thee and thy son. And for thus saith the Lord, God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth the rain upon the earth. She went and did according to the saying of Elijah, she and he and her house did eat many days, and the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. So here we are. There's a famine in the land called caused because of the no rain. And for a while, Elijah is hiding out by a brook, has a very interesting life. He's hanging out, drinking out of the brook, and he's left alone. This is God's plan for him. All right? This is God's plan for him. Every morning and every night, these ravens fly in, drop him food, and leave. Which is very strange, and I'm not sure I'd just pick it up to begin with, except that when you're real hungry... I guess you're going to do it eventually. So God feeds him morning and night every day. And he's doing pretty well. He had faith to begin with. He stepped out in faith and said to the king, no rain. And it happened. No rain. And he had faith that God would take care of him. And it seems as though oftentimes we run up against some point in which we say, yep, I got it. I'm in that perfect spot of faith. I'm all set. I lived my life up to now, and that's how it should go. And then God all of a sudden says, oh, your brook just dried up. Sorry. Wait a minute. I was all set. Nope. You've got, I'm doing something else. And that's, that's oftentimes what we look for, is God is doing something. God is doing something bigger than you understand. It affects more people than you understand. And he has a plan. You just happen to be a part of it. And so when some hardship comes your way, and you kind of deal with it on your level, and then you've all of a sudden kind of come out to some level, and you say, here, I'm comfortable here again. Elijah's comfortable by the brook, but his brook dries up. And one day the comfort goes away, and God says, I've got another plan. See, I've been working all along, and I've been working in this house of this widow. Now understand that just by saying she's a widow. She's already had loss in her life. We don't know how long, but she has one son, and this widow has had hardship. And not only that, she is about ready, just the day that I have dried the brook up and got you to go over and leave, she's about ready to have her last meal with her son. So I have something bigger planned, but he didn't necessarily tell Elijah all of it. He just said, go over and there's a widow there. She'll take care of you. So he gets up, goes over, is approaches this woman and says, can you get me a drink out of the well? And she gets him a drink, has a bucket or whatever she needs to get a drink out of the well. And he says, oh, can you make me a, a little bit of a bread? Well, I could, but 
I can't because this is it. I got a little handful left. I'm going to take these two sticks, start a tiny little fire, cook what's left, feed it to my son and I, and that's the end. We're going to die. We have nothing left. It's at the bottom and it's out. There's no more source to look to. And Elijah says, interestingly, make one for me first. Which is not because he was a selfish man, but because God's plan required her to have a little faith that God would do it. And she did. She had that little faith. And God gave her the meal and the oil for however long it took. We don't know exactly how long. We know it was three and a half years before it rained, totally. But how long was he at the brook? We don't know. So it was a while. Every day they ate out of this barrel, and this, this jug of oil. And as much as they needed, they always had. And so God provided. And they got into that spot where, again, they were kind of comfortable. God was providing just as they needed but God still had a plan. He wasn't done. And then something happens that's tragic. Or maybe not. Verse number 17. It came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. And his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. In other words, he's dead. He died. And, he, and she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? I thought you just saved him. See, I had a plan a long time ago. When you first showed up, we were just going to eat what last we had together. And he and I would have died. And I wouldn't be in this mess right now. But now you saved him for what? Why did you let him die? Why did your God let my son die? And I'm sure she was angry and frustrated about it. Why am I in this situation? Why would God save him just to kill him? Makes no sense. And what's worse is that if it would have been, if you wouldn't have shown up at all, I'd have been dead and I wouldn't have to live through this. But now, I have no husband, I have no son, and I have no hope. Your God did this to me. She says that specifically, and I know that's how she felt. Angry and bitter, and frustrated, because she's lost everything. She's got this guy living in her house that claims to be some man of God that she's been feeding, taking care of, for however long. And it seems like she's been doing the right thing, and yet she is repaid with this terrible thing that happens. So why? What's going on? Isn't that wrong? Why? And that's a big question that's true. Every time we get there, why would he do this to me? 
If he cared about me, why would he let me live through this? It would have just been better if I'd have died and never lived through this. And that's the approach of, I don't understand what is happening. But God says, I have something bigger. Do you see that at each step I've been taking and walking you through? And I never left you. Never. Not from the very beginning. Not when I shook your world up a little and I shook it up a little more and I shook it up a little more. I never left you. She's not feeling it. And that's the truth. And that's human not to feel that God is really even on your side when something happens like this. To feel very distant from God. In fact, she says something interesting in her language. She's been struggling with something. And it shows in the things she said in the last verse that we read. Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? In other words, she's been battling inside with something. I don't know what it is. Something maybe she did long ago. Something she struggles with every day. I don't know what it is. But her first thing is, why is God punishing me? Why is God punishing me? Is it my sin? Because that's what he must be doing. He knows the things I've done wrong, and he's been waiting at this right time, and I just did the wrong thing, and he said, I gotcha. Because that's the way we think about God, oftentimes. That's the way our children think of us, right? When we're trying to limit their screen time. You're ruining my life. Right? And it might be a bit dramatic for them to say that. And I am not minimizing the loss of this woman or what she feels. But please understand that God never left the situation. God was still in control, and God was not waiting to crush her at every moment. That's not the way God is. Just like we're not waiting to stop our children and to force them, we're going to get you. We're going to wait till you fall, and then we're going to get you. That's not how parents are. Not good parents, right? <laughs> Maybe frustrated parents once in a while, but not good parents. And you get knocked up beside the head and you say, oh, wait a minute, I should not do this anymore. Oftentimes, God is doing something much bigger. He wants something better. And so, this woman who has lost everything has now come down to the crux of the matter. When you are stripped away in your life of everything but you and God, you're in a hard place, but you're in a good place. You're in the place where you will learn in the most of your life. And you'll ask, how is this better? If God really loved me, would he let me have this pain right now? Should I have lived through this? 
And guess what? You'll question God and you will be angry. You'll be angry and you will be frustrated. You'll be confused. You'll be hurt. And you'll run through the whole cycle again and again. Until God reaches deep enough into your soul to touch you in a place that no human can touch you. To help you understand that his love for you is greater and bigger and he's got something else. He's doing something. And I'm not saying that it's a replacement for any loss. I am not saying that. And we don't have the answer for every loss that happens in this life, every hardship that happens in this life. I don't have that answer. But I do know one thing, and this is what Elijah knew, and this is all that Elijah knew, is that my God is kind. My God is loving. And when she confronts Elijah and says, why did this happen? Is God punishing me? Your God did this to me. I did everything I was supposed to do, and your God did this to me. Elijah gave no answer back. Because what do you answer? When someone's in hurt and pain, you can't say something to make it go away. You cannot say enough things, but in his mind, Elijah has been through this with God before and before and before, and he understands who God is. And so what does he do? Well, he goes to his knees, because that's the only thing he knows how to do with God. When you're in a spot where you don't have an answer, you go to your knees. Verse 19, he said unto her, give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom, and he carried him up into a loft where he abode, and laid him upon his own bed. And he cried unto the Lord, this is where he's praying, and said, O Lord my God, hast thou brought also evil upon the widow with whom I sojourn by slaying her son? He asked the same question, because he does not know what God is up to. He only knows God's character. That's all he knows. He does not know God's plan. And he's a prophet of God. But he only knows, God, I don't know what you're up to. But it looks really bad. I don't have an answer. Why are you doing this? She has done the right thing. And you killed her son. Why? I'm staying with this woman. And you killed her son. Verse 21, and he stretched himself upon the child three times, cried unto the Lord and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come in to him again. And Elijah, and the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. And the woman said unto Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord is in, the mouth, in thy mouth is truth. So here we are in this place of frustration, and 
He goes back to Elijah, and Elijah prays in desperation, not knowing the answer. Will God do something? Now, in this particular case, we look at it. He is the very first person in the Bible to see resurrection. There was not a record of this before. It was impossible. Never been done. But he prayed because he believed in God. And God answered him in a way that he may never answer us in a hard time. There may not be a miracle. Sometimes God's answer is, I'm with you. And that has to be enough to walk through. But in this particular case, he brought about a miracle and raised that son again. Now, God, don't be mistaken. The things that God gives, he gives generously. And God does take things from our life. All right? But he restores us in a way that only God and you can understand. He touches us directly in a place when he knows we need that touch. He brings us to a deep place, oftentimes down to our knees, because that's all we have left, just him and him and us. That's it. There's nothing left. Nothing to fight for. <clears throat> nothing to hold on to. And when he brings us to that place, he took the little bit of faith, and a little bit of faith, and a little more faith, and a little more faith, and he kept growing, because he had a different idea. At the end, for this woman, he, the answer was to bring her son back. Like I said, that's not, ever, not his answer for everything. He was doing something bigger. But what we need to understand is the walking through these times is walk with me, lean on me, trust in me. Sometimes he strips us down to nothing in our life just for the fact of building us back up in the right way because he knows what we really need. He's that parent of the child of God looking down and saying, I've got so much more for you. You're hanging on to this little thing and it's not what you need. You need something deeper. You need something better. Truthfully, our life, our relationship with God is the summation of all of those personal experiences where God stripped us down in one way and built us back in the way we ought to be. Little area in our life. He takes it and strips us down and shows us. And sometimes they're big and they hit us hard. And sometimes they're a whole series of small ones. But either way, God's plan is that each time we learn to lean and to trust and to know, like Elijah knew, my God is kind, my God is loving, I don't know what he's doing. And I don't know why I'm in this spot where I am, but I do know who he is. And this will walk me through. That's what i got to trust. Because I can't trust in anybody around me. 
even. I can only trust in God. So that summation of that time will bring us through life literally to the point where David says, we will, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear. God teaches us to trust him, strips us down, teaches us to trust him in every way to say, I can do this. I can, I can walk through with you today. And that's what God ever asks for, just today. Be with me today. Do this today. I close with one verse. It comes out of the book of Nahum. It's Nahum 1-7. You don't have to turn there, but it is a verse to keep in your mind. For any struggle that God brings you through, any place he strips you down, this is the verse, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows them who trust in him. He knows them who trust in him. And so he brings you to a point of relationship a little closer, a little closer, a little stronger, a little stronger, and your faith grows, and he knows you. That's what he wants. He's looking for something much better for you, for me. A long-term, bigger plan so that someday we walk through death without fear. Bring us right to that point. And he can bring us into eternity without fear. One step at a time. Thank you very much. Have a good day.